As you know, I love to sing. I certainly miss being with you last Sunday, but there's something about singing every time I take a breath that <clears throat> makes me want to cough. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I missed out on the last several songs just because I was hacking. So, anyway, good to be back with you uh, this morning and so uh, grateful to uh, James Litzy last Sunday for stepping in sort of on short notice. I tried to give him several days, but um, he did a great job and appreciate you, James, for that. <clears throat> We're back in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. And uh, Lord willing, we are going to finish the chapter. Can you believe it? I know you never thought we would get through chapter 11 of Hebrews, but uh, we're going to do our best this morning. <coughs> I'm sorry. The heroes of the faith, that's what we've been talking about. We've been looking at a lot of different uh, individuals listed here in Hebrews chapter 11. A, Hebrew, uh, a hero sacrifices himself for the good of others. That's what a hero is. We, we looked at Moses. Moses was a hero. Uh, he gave up a comfortable life to lead a nation of complainers for 40 years. Abraham was a hero. He left his home, all that was comfortable to him, all that he knew, to follow God to a strange new place. If you want to be used by God, you have to be willing to sacrifice, to do his will. That seems to be the very definition of a hero. They forget about themselves. They surrender their own desires for the good of other people. Um, our flesh cries out to be satisfied, to oftentimes to take the easy way. If we are to live by faith, then we must learn to crucify, to crucify the flesh and to begin to live for other people. And the promise is that if we will do that, if we will live by faith, we will reign with Christ if we will live that, that kind of faith out in our lives. I really like Isaiah um, in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6. This is a very, very familiar passage to you, but I just want to share it with you again. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees the Lord in the temple. Isaiah chapter 6, the Lord... I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. I've always loved that about Isaiah. God says, Who can we send? Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah raises his hand. He says, Here am I, send me, Lord. That begs the question, Are we willing to follow, and to serve Christ when no one else is, when no one else will. That's what we see here in Hebrews chapter 11. It's what we see in the heroes of faith all throughout the Word of God, men and women who desired to do God's will. Hebrews chapter 11, let's pick up in verse 30. 
The word of the Lord says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Now go back to, to verse 29. <coughs> Excuse me, we finished with this last, uh, well, two, two weeks ago. Moses has led the, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Verse 29, by faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. So there at the end of verse 29, we have the, the children of Israel crossing uh, the Red Sea on dry land. The Egyptian army tries to follow. God closes the waters. They're all wiped away. They're all killed. And then we come to verse 30. Forty years has gone by. Forty years has lapsed between verse 29 and verse 30. All those 40 years of the wilderness wanderings. Why does the Hebrew writer not say anything at all about that? Zero faith. Zero faith. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. He's trying to encourage those initial recipients of this letter to live by faith. We've said it so many times throughout this series in Hebrews. They were discouraged for whatever reason <clears throat> excuse me, to go back, to, to, to stop following Jesus, to go back to Judaism, or to just leave the faith altogether. Uh, many of their family, their contemporaries, surely were, were making fun of them. You're following Jesus of Nazareth? Are you kidding? He died on a cross. He died between two thieves. That's the Messiah that you're following? And so they were tempted. They were discouraged. And so the Hebrew writer is writing to encourage them, don't go back, don't turn around, stay the course, keep the faith. And so this 40-year gap here between the crossing of the Red Sea and, and uh, the, the, the walls of Jericho coming down, he makes no mention of, of that because there was no faith in those 40 years. That's what Hebrews chapter 3 was all about. They were not able to enter into the rest. They were not able to go into the promised land because of their unbelief, their lack of faith, zero faith. If you remember, Jericho was a fortified city. Conventional wisdom would tell you to, to amass your army, to, to put on your armor, to sharpen up uh, your weapons, and then go in to battle. <clears throat> but faith, <clears throat> faith had a different plan. It was by faith that the people marched around Jericho, Joshua chapter 6. They marched around the city once a day for six days. Can you just imagine, can you just imagine what the people of Jericho must have thought? The guys that stood on the wall guarding uh, Jericho, the warriors up on the wall, they see this massive group of people just march around the city, and then they go home. Come back the next day, march around the city. Once a day, every day for six days. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times. That must have been really, really weird. What are they doing? How ridiculous is that? But then when they heard the trumpets... They shouted, they knew exactly what to do, 
and it had nothing to do with their military prowess, but everything to do with the power of God. And when the trumpets blew, they knew just what to do. They began to shout, my friend, there was no doubt that the mighty walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Came tumbling down. You know that song? All right. Just checking with you. Must have seemed absolutely ridiculous. But that's what God told them to do. And so they did it. They believed God. They believed God. And God brought the walls down. That was their very first victory in the land. And it came because they obeyed. They obeyed. Look at verse 31. This is an amazing verse for, for a lot of reasons. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. <clears throat> you remember Joshua sent spies into the land before that they were going to, to, to conquer Jericho. He sent spies into the land and, and a lady named Rahab. The Bible says that she was a prostitute. If you look back in the, in the book of Joshua, uh, some of the manuscripts may say that she was, was an innkeeper. But um, the Hebrew writer uh, says she was a prostitute. The brother of Jesus in the book of James also mentions that Rahab was a prostitute. She met the spies. She hid the spies. Who was Rahab? Well, she was a woman. She was a Gentile and also a prostitute. She demonstrated her faith in God by hiding the spies. And she trusted that God was going to spare her life when Jericho uh, was destroyed. There in, in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 9, she says, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. And then two verses later in verse 11, she says, <coughs> excuse me, for the Lord your God is God. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Somehow, God had revealed himself to her, to Rahab. I, I'm not sure exactly how he, how he did that, but he revealed to her that he was going to give this land to his people. And so when Jericho fell, only Rahab and her family were spared. Why? Why was she spared? Because of faith. Because of faith. God had revealed to her, and she believed. And so she was spared. And don't miss the lesson here, okay? Your value to God as a person has nothing to do with who you were before your salvation in Christ. Your value to God has nothing to do with you, everything to do with how good he is. Surely, surely the people thought that Rahab didn't belong. She was a woman. She was a Gentile. And more than likely, she was a prostitute. But do you remember the story of Rahab? Rahab went on to marry a Hebrew. They had a son. His name was Boaz. Boaz became the husband of Ruth. 
the great-grandfather of a man named David who became king of Israel. So from Rahab came the line of the Messiah. Isn't that just beautiful how God works? Isn't that just wonderful that God would take a Gentile prostitute and use her in his kingdom? Not only in his kingdom, but use her to bring about the line of the Messiah. Blows my mind how God works. Thank you, God. God's work in history is not limited by people's past or their failures. Rahab was not saved because of who she was. She was saved because of who God is. You know, a lot of times people make mistakes. Um, I read the story recently. In 1990, in Ottawa, Canada, there was a 24-year-old man by the name of Danny Simpson. He went to jail for robbing a bank. He robbed the bank. He got about $6,000, and then very quickly he was, he was captured and he was taken to bank. Uh, he was taken um, to jail. Uh, when you rob the bank, you don't get to stay at the bank. You go to jail. But in the commission of the robbery, he had used a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic pistol, which turned out to be uh, quite the antique. Uh, it was made by the Ross Rifle Company in Quebec uh, City, uh, Canada, in 1918. They said on the open market, the gun was worth a minimum of $12,000. On the high end, to a collector, the gun was worth about $100,000. If you remember, Danny Simpson robbed the bank and got $6,000. If he had only known what he had in his hand, he could have taken it to any gun dealer and gotten at least twice what it was he got from stealing, robbing the bank. If he'd only known what it was that he possessed, and how valuable that was. And I think that so many Christians, so many of us, even us here this morning, we don't realize what it is that we possess, and we don't realize how valuable it is. So many times we are, we're looking for the will of God. I, I just wish I knew what God's will was in my life. I wish, I wish that I could experience God. Listen, God is here with us. He is here this morning. He is present. We invited him. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. That's what I said this morning, and I meant it. If you are a blood-bought Christian, saved by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. If we only knew what it is that we already possessed and how valuable it was. I wonder how many different decisions we would make in our life. I wonder how many different decisions I would make in my life if I only lived in the knowledge that the power of God is truly with me at all times. You know, we often, we often use the verse, and we've taken it out of context so often. I, I know I've shared this with you, but in Matthew 18, where 
Jesus is trying to get people to, to come together. He's trying to get, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. If he doesn't listen to you, you know, take that, take another brother, take some witnesses with you. If that doesn't work, take it to the church. That's the whole context of Matthew 18. And then at the end of that, it says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There I'll be with them. And you and I have always said, we've always heard, preachers have said that uh, if two or more Christians are together, you can, you can come together and worship God because God is, is with you. He's there in your midst because that's what the Bible says. Where two or more are gathered, there I am with them. That is not what that text says. When you are at home by yourself, if you are a blood-bought Christian, God is with you. There's never a time where God is not present in your life if you are a child of God. It doesn't take two or more Christians together for God to be present. That's having to do with, with reconciliation, and, and that's another, another topic. We'll not get through Hebrews chapter 11 if you ask me to preach on that. We don't realize what we already have what we already possess. God's power is unlocked in our lives. Listen, when we walk by faith and obey his word. I mentioned this Wednesday night in class. There's something about obedience. There's something about when we take a step of faith, when God says, I want you to do this, and we say, Okay, God, I'll do that. Yes, sir. Yes, Lord. I'll do that. There's something that God does in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives when, when, when we take a step of faith. We cannot get it any other way. You can read about it all you want to. You can read the scripture uh, until the cows come home. But until you take a step of faith, until you obey God, it's not that God is not powerful, but it's almost as if you've tied God's hands. He, he just won't reveal himself to you unless you actually act in obedience. But once you act in obedience, it's as if, it's as if the power of God is unleashed in your life. And then he begins to real, reveal other things to you, things that he would not have revealed had you not been obedient. Does that make sense? All right. These Old Testament saints of God knew this. Look at verse 32. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. All of these people faced incredible odds in their lives, and yet they prevailed. Gideon, he defeated the Midianite army with 300 people. He amassed a larger army, you remember, but God said, you got too many people, too many. Whittle it down, whittle it down. And he whittled it down to 300 men, and they go and they defeat the Midianites with just 300 men. You know the reason why God does things like that? God, uh, Gideon, you know, Gideon didn't want to fight. He didn't want to go in the first place. I'm the least of my clan, and my clan is the least of all the tribes. He was hiding out, threshing wheat. He was hiding out from the Midianites because they was afraid that they would steal his wheat. And 
God uses him. But he amasses a large army, and God says, too many, too many, too many, too many. He did it with 300. Why? So that when Gideon defeats the Midianites, who gets the credit? God gets the credit. There's no way you could do that with 300 people. That's foolish. But God does that so that when it's all said and done, he gets the credit, nobody else. Barak, he served with Deborah, uh, one of the great judges of Israel. They defeated Sisera's mighty army. That's a crazy story, guys. Y'all got go back to, to the book of Judges and read some of these stories, some, some crazy stuff there. Samson, he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, a thousand Philistines, uh, and that was just one of the exploits. Jephthah, it's not a name that we, we know very, very much. Jephthah was a tough guy. He was a mighty warrior. His mother also was a prostitute. They drove him away. <coughs> Excuse me. His family drove him away. They said, you'll never having a share of the inheritance. You're, you have a different mother. So they drove Jephthah away. But then when they needed Jephthah, oh, Jephthah, please, come back and lead us. Come back and lead us. We need you. So they begged him to come back, and the Spirit of the Lord gave Jephthah the victory over the Ammonites. <clears throat> David, oh, we know the story of David. He killed Goliath, he became a king, he became a man after God's own heart. Samuel, the prophets, they fearlessly proclaimed God's word even when the people didn't want to hear it, even when it was unpopular. How did they do that? How did they do that? Verse 33, who through faith, <clears throat> who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice, and gained what was promised. They did all of this by faith, faith in God. They trusted God. There are going to be moments in our lives where our faith is tested. And God wants you to walk through those times in faith, trusting in him. And when you come through it, God wants you to have the courage to share that with other Christians, with other believers, to encourage them. That's what the Hebrew writer is doing here. He's writing all of this down to encourage other people. Even in the storms and the trials, it's possible to remain faithful. That's something that we do not do in the church. That's something that all of my life growing up, I've never really seen us do is to, to, to stand up and to testify what God has done, how God has, has brought me through, how God has brought you through. What an encouragement that would be. Uh, we do a thing uh, back in Texas called Higher Ground, and I'm, I'm talking to some of the guys there about possibly bringing that uh, here to southern Indiana. One of the reasons it's so powerful is that average men, the women have their own weekend, uh, but average men, average women, not professional speakers, not, you know, people that do it for a living, they stand up and they testify. 
and they say, this is, what, this is where I was, this is where I am now. This is who I used to be, this is what God has done in my life. And they just literally stand up and give their testimony. That's not a word that we, we use much in the church. We don't, we, we don't talk about witnessing to people or we don't talk about sharing our testimony. That's really what all of what Hebrews 11 is about. The writer, in essence, is sharing their testimony. Why? So as to encourage people. How encouraging it is to sit back and to hear a woman say, this is where I was, but this is where I am now. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. How encouraging that would be. We need to start doing that in this church. I'm going to have a testimony Sunday, I think where I'm going to invite people to just stand up and testify. It'll be the easiest sermon I've ever written. <laughs> Hebrews 11, it tells us that there is no trial, there's no need, there's no persecution that we can face where faith is not the answer. Let's keep reading. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions. Does that remind you of anyone? Daniel and the lion's den. Oh, my goodness. Um, he goes into the, to the lion's den, and they're salivating, they're hungry, and God closed their mouths. He probably slept like a baby that night. Quench the fury of the flames. Who does that remind you of? A little Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, maybe? They put them into the, to the furnace. They said, crank up the heat. Crank up the heat hotter than it's ever been. And so they did. And then uh, the soldiers and the guards were, were consumed by the fire. Uh, they, they couldn't even get close to it. They were killed. But they, they throw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says they came out and they didn't even smell like smoke. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Oh, foreign armies. We, we think of all these guys we just talked about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. They routed foreign armies because they had faith in God, because God enabled them by the power of His Spirit to be victorious. But look at this next verse, verse 35. This tells us something very important. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. We think about Elisha and Elijah, uh, young men who were dead. Their, their mothers received them back. The prophets raised them from the dead. Women received back their dead, raised to life. Look at this. Others were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Some had victories even over death, and yet some were tortured and were killed. Let me just say, <clears throat> having a steadfast faith doesn't mean you always get what you ask for. 
but it does mean that God will walk with you every step of the way. The old song, some of you may remember, you can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want, but you get what you need, right? The Bible doesn't say that just because our faith is strong that we're going to get what we want or we're going to get what it is that we pray for. You know, we serve a God who knows something more than we know. We serve a God who knows the big picture, who sees everything from start to finish, from beginning to end. You and I just see the here and the now. And so, yes, we pray. We pray in faith. But it doesn't mean, even if our faith is strong, that we're going to get what it is that we're praying for. But God promised us that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. I will be with you every step of the journey. And that's why we sing songs like just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. Just one glimpse of Jesus will pay you back everything, everything you've suffered, every pain imaginable, every time you've been slighted, every time somebody has hurt your feelings, every time somebody has intentionally done something to bring you pain, just one glimpse of Jesus will make it all worth the while. You know, that's one thing we don't like to talk about, about learning how to suffer. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to get really good at suffering, right? You only get good at something if you, if you do it a lot, you know? Nobody wants to be a good sufferer. But we are spoiled in the Western world. We are so spoiled. Suffering is a normal part of life for most people. Did you guys, did you guys realize that? Outside of our Western comfortable world, Suffering is just a normal part of everyday life. And I'm not talking about for Christians. I'm just talking about for people. But especially for Christians, even today, suffering is a very normal part of their existence. But by faith, by faith, they know that there is something better than this life. And so they continue on. Let's, let's continue on reading. Verse 36 some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. These are our early brothers and sisters. We, I guess I can't say that they're Christians because Christ hadn't even been born yet. But these early believers in God, so many of them... Not only were they, were they jeered and made fun of, but they were beaten, they were flogged, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. This reminds us of Isaiah the prophet. The prophet Isaiah, history tells us that under King Manasseh, he, he was hiding out in a big cedar, cedar tree for his, own, his very life. And when they came and they found him, they took a saw and they cut him in two. They just sawed the prophet in two. These were our early believers in Jesus, our early believers in God, if you will. And notice what it says about them. 
They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy. And I would tell you today, in a, in a, in a perverse generation who doesn't know God, who turns their back on him, who chooses to worship self, and money, and power, and prestige, instead of the creator. The world is not worthy of a man or a woman who puts their faith and their trust in God. The world is not worthy of that. The world is, that kind of world is only worthy of judgment, and fire, and destruction. A man or a woman who puts their faith in God, in spite of what the world around them is doing, in spite of the the, the mockery and being made fun of. The world is not worthy of men and women who love God. It wasn't then and, and it's true today. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. We have brothers and sisters today in parts of our world who live like that still who cannot worship God openly and freely, who have to hide. They hide in homes. They, they, they hide in places just so that they can be with a, a few brothers and sisters in Christ who believe in God. That's true even today. We don't like to talk about suffering. Why do we think we should be treated any better than these early believers by a world that hates Jesus Christ. And you do know that's true. Our world despises Jesus Christ. Why do we think as believers that we should have it any better, any easier? Suffering is often the crucible that God uses to test us to cleanse us, to purify us, to transform us into the image of his son. Faith produces a righteous life that pleases God. It's not about coming to church an hour or two a week. It's about living each day by faith and knowing that there's a better life when we die. That this is not all there is. Let's finish. Let's finish the chapter. So I can say we're finished with Hebrews chapter 11. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. You say, what's, what's the point of it? What's the point of following God? if you don't get what you've been promised. They didn't receive it in this life. See, too, too many of us give up too quickly. We, we, we give up 
You know, they say it's, it's darkest right before the dawn. If you've ever gone out deer hunting, you know that that's a, that's a true statement. It seems like right before the sun comes up, that's as dark as it gets. But if you could just hang in there, if you can just stay awake a little while longer, then the sun begins to rise, and then it begins to illuminate everything. There are so many of our brothers and our sisters that when, when, when times get hard, their faith crumbles. They, they, they don't stay with it long enough. If they could just hang in another day, another moment, another minute, have faith. The Old Testament saints, they only had shadows of what we have. We have the substance in Jesus. They had good things. But we have better things. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about, the book of better things. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They didn't receive all the things that God had promised, but that they, they knew that if they would live by faith, that they would eventually get that. In the resurrection, in the end times, whatever they understood about that, they knew that God had something better for them. In his book, What God Thinks When We Fail, Stephen Roy, he wrote a story, and that's all it is, is a story, about a young violinist. He lived in London many, many years ago. He was a superb musician. He loved his music. He enjoyed playing before small groups of people in, in homes, uh, his friends' homes, but he was deathly afraid of large crowds. He didn't want to play in, in these public performances. It terrified him. But the London Music Establishment, they were very critical of this young violinist. He was he was violating all of the accepted protocols. If you've got that kind of talent, you're supposed to be playing in large venues so that, so that many people can hear you in these large concert halls. And in time, the criticism grew so intense that the young violinist finally relented. He said, okay, I will, I will play a, a major concert. So the, the largest concert hall in London was was secured, and when the evening came, the hall was filled with a lot of people. People were excited to hear this young prodigy, and so were his critics. They wanted to, uh, to hear him. They filled the first three rows. They had their pens and their pads ready to take notes to, to critique him. The young violinist, he came onto the stage. He sat by himself. There was no music in front of him. There was no orchestra behind him. He simply sat on a stool, and he put his violin under his chin, and for the next hour and a half, solid, he played. He played some of the most beautiful music that they had ever heard. When it was over with, the crowd stands, and they began to applaud and to cheer. Even the critics had long since put down their pens and their pads and just listened because it was so mesmerizing. The young man, he stood, 
And he peered out into the audience as if he were looking for something or someone. And he stood and he stood and finally, he didn't even acknowledge the, the applause, but finally a smile came over his face and he bowed and he began to acknowledge the crowd. After the concert was over with, many of the, uh, the critics came to him and they said, that was amazing, that was wonderful, but tell us why. Why were you just staring at us like you were not even acknowledging the applause that everybody was giving to you? And the young violinist said, right before I came on stage, he said, I was handed a note, and I opened it and I read it, and it said, my master teacher was going to be in the crowd this evening. So he said, as, as I began to play, I was looking out over the crowd, but I could never find him. So I just played and I played and I played my heart out. But then when it was over with, he said, I, I couldn't even hear the applause. He said, all I could think of was, was finding my master teacher to see if he were here. And then finally, he said, I looked and I saw him in the balcony. And he says, my teacher was clapping and he had the biggest smile on his face. And he said, I knew that if the master was pleased, that everything else was okay. If the master was pleased with me, nothing else mattered. Is the master pleased with you this morning? Because that's really all that matters. Do you have faith? Will you trust him and love him in spite of what's going on around you? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we all want to hear.